Welcome to Booked, where two guys say about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden, Mexican Gothic. Um, that's what we're reviewing this week. So before we get into all that, we did take a week off. Um, listen, folks, we had a we had a busy run there in, in July, and it was time yeah. for us to take a little bit of a breather. So we did so. Um, but Mexican Gothic everywhere, everywhere I turn, Mexican Gothic this, Mexican Gothic that, Mexican Gothic TV show, right? So oh, how, yeah, how, yeah. Could, how could we not... Um, do that. I am not. It's, did Apple? Did Apple land Mexican Gothic or was it HBO? I can't remember. Oh, I should. You know, I, I I remember seeing it and I don't recall. So I'm a bad. I'm prepped poorly for this. That's okay because I I didn't even think about it until <laughs> until I was yeah. just saying it. It's a uh, Hulu. Hulu. That's yeah. So I missed missed on both attempts. Hulu um grabbed it, um, which Hulu has actually done some some fairly interesting. Um, adaptations, some mm-hmm. stuff I've actually enjoyed, some of their originals. Um, Normal People, which I, you know, waxed eloquent about probably two right. or three months ago, which I absolutely loved, um, was great. So, um, good opportunity for for this. But now, uh, I guess tonight we'll just talk about what we thought of the actual book. Yeah, and this is um, something like Livius was saying. It came up in conversation, uh, definitely with Mallerman. I think it came up in conversation with Paul Tremblay. Um, it seems like everybody's talking about this book when you talk about books, big books of 2020. And I bought a physical copy and, um, it didn't come out that long ago, right? Like in June or May or something like that. Yeah. Um, I believe it came out mid pandemic. Yeah. And it's, I got a fifth printing. So it's definitely tearing up the charts. I know that (laughs) that had, that had to really upset you. It drives, it's fucking killing me. I don't like getting anything other than first printings, but um, even on Twitter, I think um, Sylvia Moreno Garcia said something about um, how long it had been in the New York Times bestseller charts, like in the top 20 or whatever. I think she was like at the 10th or 11th spot for we like 13 weeks or something like that. So it's definitely like this is a hot item and uh, it wasn't something that we had originally calendared out for this year. But since it was coming up so much, it was like, why not? read this and i think that's what what um uh pushed it onto the itinerary for us so here we go this is it we're going to talk about it now i'm going to start by just reading a quick author bio silvia marino garcia is the author of the novels mexican gothic gods of jade and shadow certain dark things untamed shore and a bunch of other books she's also edited several anthologies including the world fantasy award-winning she walks in shadows aka cthulhu's daughters and here is the not as brief synopsis for mexican gothic after receiving a frantic letter from her newlywed cousin begging for someone to save her from mysterious doom noemi taboada heads to high place a distant house in the mexican countryside she's not sure what she will find her cousin's husband a handsome englishman is a stranger and noemi knows little about the region Noemi is also an unlikely rescuer. She's a glamorous debutante, and her chic gowns and perfect red lipstick are more suited for cocktail parties than amateur sleuthing. But she's also tough and smart with an indomitable will, and she is not afraid. Not of her cousin's new husband, who is both menacing and alluring. Not of his father, the ancient patriarch who seems to be fascinated by Noemi. And not even of the house itself, which begins to invade Noemi's dreams with visions of blood and doom. Her only ally in this inhospitable abode is the family's youngest son. Shy and gentle, he seems to want to help Noemi, but might also be hiding dark knowledge of his family's past. 
for there are many secrets behind the walls of High Place. The family's once colossal wealth and faded mining empire kept them from prying eyes, but as Noemi digs deeper, she unearths stories of violence and madness. And Noemi, mesmerized by the terrifying yet seductive world of High Place, may soon find it impossible to ever leave this enigmatic house behind. Yeah, so short and to the point, that synopsis. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yep. <clears throat> Booked is still offering synopsis and um, author bio uh, editing services. Just uh, reach out to us at bookpodcast at gmail.com if you're interested. Yeah, for sure. Um, I like this synopsis. I feel like it does a pretty good job of, I mean, it is a little bit wordy. Uh, it goes a little bit long, but um, there's only a couple of things that I noticed where I was like, as someone who has finished reading the book, I would criticize, but again, it's this, they're written for, you know, people who haven't read the book yet. So, uh, th- like the, the funny thing is though, when you see little things like, um, we were talking about the, the youngest son of the family who might be hiding, uh, information about his, 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 his yeah. family's past. Yeah. That means he is right. <laughs> like yeah. when you read yeah. something like that, exactly. Yep. <laughs> it's very possible that he might know more than he's letting on to possible possible yeah for sure so yeah i i agree though the synopsis is pretty spot on although i will say that and and again depending on on how far we're able to go in this book and what we're able to talk about that i don't know that the synopsis leads you to believe this is as dark of a book as it actually become winds up being right and i say that because at, at one point it actually says like uh, she's better, better suited for cocktail parties than amateur sleuthing, which makes me think like Nancy Drew in the haunted mansion, <laughs> right. right? And and yeah, that's definitely not not what what, what we're getting with Mexican Gothic. So, yep. Um, true to the synopsis, this does kick off with our introduction to Noemi, who is at a uh, a soiree of sorts, a, a party um, with a young man, a suitor, potential suitor of hers. As they're hanging out, uh, so we get kind of a taste of her her lifestyle. Um, but pretty soon after that, she's she's called home by her father, who shares with her that Catalina, her cousin, um, who is married and living in High Place, um, has sent a letter that was uh, that was a little on the disturbing side. Right, and um, so it just to kind of set the scene a little bit. Noemi lives in Mexico City with her uh, father, who has done well for himself, and so she's part of like, you know, the high society. Um, she's a, like it says, she's a debutante. She's definitely like a socialite type of person. Um, and the story takes place in basically 1950. Like this, there's not a huge amount of timeline in this story. It doesn't take place over years and years. So uh, at one point in the book, it becomes 1950. So she's this is 1950 Mexico. She's um, grown up in Mexico City uh, all her life and has uh, she's living a life where she doesn't want for things She's I don't know if they're like fabulously wealthy but she is upper class and um, the family can afford to send her to universities and stuff like that and so she's got a very nice kind of set up lifestyle uh, but her cousin who sends the letter Catalina has married and moved to a more rural area, a kind of a mountainous area. And so um, when this letter arrives, uh, like I said in the synopsis, um, asking to be saved from mysterious doom, her father tasks her with going out to see what's going on. And so very early in the book, um, our protagonist, Noemi, 
uh, picks up kind of she lightly protests um, going away just because she's got some like tenuous social obligations but um, her father thinks that this is a serious enough situation where he needs her to go basically right away to check out and see what's going on so um, we don't see much of her journey, but she does make it to a place that's completely foreign to her. And I know we mentioned it was kind of in the mountains, but this is the house at the top of a mountain um, that is a uh, part of a former mining village. And the house is decrepit um, and old. There's very little in the way of electricity or modern um, niceties. Um, and her hosts are a little on the inhospitable side, um, to, to, to say the least. So it's very clear that, that they don't want her there, um, that they're accepting her because, you know, they, they don't have a choice. But she's expected to live well within the rules of the house, which are uh, at times, you know, are arcane, to, to say the least. Yeah, it doesn't take long from when she arrives to kind of realize that this isn't going to be... Um the the type of lifestyle that she's accustomed to first of all it's very cut off from the rest of the world they're up on a mountainside so um it's very isolated uh to the point where like she realizes early on that not all of the house has electric lighting um so candles and and oil lamps and stuff are pretty common but then yeah the 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 family itself the doyle family which uh catalina married into it's obvious that like they're, they're not excited about outsiders, but then also they have weird, like you can't smoke in the house, um, which I, you can't smoke in my house, but like, right. but in the 1950s <laughs> though, people would have been every, smoking in your house. Everywhere. Like that's, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and like to the point where we don't talk at the dinner table and noise in general is considered disruptive and, and rude and everything. So this, she, she shows up um, to, to visit this cousin and it becomes clear very quickly that the family that 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 she's visiting um, is a very controlling, and they have a very specific idea of what how people act and what what's allowed and what's not allowed. To get to the cousin Catalina um, is, uh, and and I forget. Maybe you can remind me. the The, the family tells um, Noemi that she's suffering from. I don't remember what the particular malady was. Tuberculosis um, was the tuberculosis. Yep. Yeah. Um, but basically it's, it's kind of an on again, off again. So to go back, you know, between Catalina and, and the Doyle family, um, the, like Noemi can't just visit Catalina whenever she wants. Right. So you would think if you're going to visit your cousin, like you, you just hang out all day with your cousin and you'd sit out on the, on the porch and, and have a, a glass of wine. Right. Or whatever. Like her interactions are very limited. Um, when she tries to see Catalina, I know Catalina's resting. Uh, maybe you can see her later tonight or tomorrow. And then it's always for like these brief moments of time. And Catalina kind of goes back and forth between some normalcy of what Noemi is, is used to from the two of them growing up together. And then sometimes she's, you know, kind of uh, distant and, and maybe even despondent. But it's enough for, for Noemi to, to really question um, the, the prognosis that she has tuberculosis. Yeah, and to kind of dip into some of the darkness that Livius alluded to earlier, um, the letter that prompted uh, Noemi's quick um, visit to to Catalina, she was talking some cr pretty crazy shit, like uh, about how she thinks that you know people have it out for her, and um, without going into crazy details, like the, 
insinuating that like there's there's ghosts or supernatural stuff going on like there's things in the walls like that type of thing um something that a normal sane person wouldn't put in a letter um so when when we see catalina um early on like the the thought is hey is she just a crazy person so when you see her lucid and acting normal it brings into question well what is this all about it gives you this kind of false sense of hey maybe it's not as bad uh, maybe it is just a malady or something like that um uh, early on but then obviously things don't necessarily stay so innocent Right. We talked a little bit about Florence, um, who's uh, Francis's mom. Um, Francis is the Francis is the shy guy who might know some things about the history of his family. It was alluded to in the synopsis. <laughs> um, he's the one that Noemi really bonds with. Um, um, but pretty, he's the one who picks her up, you know, in the car from the train or how yeah, I believe she got there by train. Um, you know, so he he's the only friend she has in, in this venture, uh, in this house at, at High Place. Um, Virgil, we, we touched on a little bit, but he's uh, Catalina's husband, and he's, uh, <laughs> Rob put in the notes, kind of rapey, which I'm not disagreeing with. But that's, he's he's a little domineering, and, and um, although he's obviously trying to please Noemi from the standpoint of he doesn't want any, you know, you know, any particular trouble. Um, it, it's clear that, that he's not going to allow her to do anything other than occasionally visit with his wife and send a, send a good report home to, uh, to her father. Like his, his whole, his whole involvement in her visit is just to make sure that she does what she's supposed to do, which is to report back. They're doing the best they can for Catalina and she'll probably get better soon. And, you know, nothing to see her move along essentially. But, um, Noemi starts to experience um, some kind of odd things too, and it starts with <clears throat> growing a little bit here with a series of dreams that she has. <laughs> Livius's favorite favorite thing in the world is dreams dreams in stories. Um, so this had I, to be let me, painful. Let me let me defend <laughs> the dreams in this story just a little bit without going too far into it. I will say that. Um, they were probably better used in this than in most other stories that have dream sequences. And that's all I can say without, you know, doing it over at spoiler talk. So it definitely becomes obvious through, um, her not waking time. Uh, Noemi's not waking time that, um, things are a little bit different than the family would have you, uh, believe. And so I, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back really quick to talk about the family. Cause we didn't, I don't think we mentioned it. The Doyle family is from England, and they moved to this sp specific part of Mexico uh, specifically because they're silver miners and they wanted to make a fortune on this silver, this you know very you know lucrative silver mine. So they moved. Um, so they're they're English. They're not they're they're not also Mexican. And um, I don't. I thought I had a point for going into that. It's just like it feels like. That was something that made my opinion of them because they're outsiders and they're obviously acting different. And that creates like a um, an automatic bias of maybe that's just culturally they're different. But then when things start getting more and more weird, it's not you can't blame it on. Oh, culturally, they're different. And they're just assholes or whatever. And that's why they're acting so prickly. You know, um, maybe it's something 
more nefarious. But anyway, so her dreams is when weird stuff starts to happen where she's um, uh, she's dreaming things in the house as if like almost having a memory and things like that where where uh, uh, another thing is that she uh, it's alluded to the fact that when she was a kid, she would sleepwalk and she starts to experience sleepwalking incidents um, while she's visiting this house, which hasn't happened in forever. So um, the content of her dreams, plus like her own actions that are, they're coming back. She hasn't done sleepwalking in a long time are starting to kind of, it seems like they're not worrying her as much as I was worrying, but like, it's definitely like hinting that things aren't as they seem. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other characters that probably bear it mentioning. There are two doctors. Um, one works exclusively for the Doyle family and really looks after um, Howard Doyle, the, the, the elder Doyle, um, who is definitely not well, to say the least. Um, but he's also obviously looking after Catalina. And then there's a town doctor who uh, Noemi reaches out to to get a second opinion. And he's a uh, He's not affiliated with the Doyle family. He knows who they are. Everyone knows who they are, you know, in town and stuff, but he has nothing to do with them. And then we have a uh, shamanistic healer person, you know, which doctor sort of woman um, in town, too. So I guess that would be like a third type of doctor that's also involved in the story that, um, you know, these characters allow for a little bit of rounding out of the story, I guess. Yeah. So uh, we're definitely approaching... um the limits of what we can say about the story but essentially what we have is noemi shows up to see to check on her cousin the family is trying very hard to make it seem like hey everything's okay this is just some tuberculosis and she'll just sleep a lot until she gets better and uh noemi's like yeah i don't really believe that so much and and the people uh that um she can trust um are helping her how they can which is like francis like we mentioned earlier is kind of her ally um, some of the people in town, like the doctor and Marta, who is the, the healer type witch doctor person, um, are also helping her a little bit. Um, and so that's the general push of the story is like she's trying to get to the bottom amateur sleuth of what's going on with her cousin. What is this family up to and um, kind of get get a resolution, save her cousin as it would be. Um, what's, what I, what I really enjoy is, um, that in addition to this mystery that she's got to solve, you get all of the backstory of the area. Um, there's flashbacks to, um, when the mine, you know, was first active, when the family started using the mine, some calamities that happened around that, um, some more family history in general, and um, th- so she does a great job of fleshing out what this family is and what they're up to, um, but also like just leaving it a really good mystery throughout. So you're, as as clues become uncovered, they almost just kind of lead to more like, well, what the hell does this mean to the bigger story? So I felt I felt like that aspect of the book was really well done. And this is probably where we need to go into spoiler talk, I think. So um, we're going to cut over to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash booked, where you can get spoiler talk. So we do this uh, frequently lately for books, um, but we're going to go over there and talk about all the things we can't. I can tell you I am going to formulate 
what I can talk about in my wrap up about things I liked and or didn't like about this book. And uh, that's where all that magic happens. So if you're interested in that, you can do that for two dollars a month over at patreon.com slash booked um, and, you know, whatever other goodies you you find from doing that. And one quick plug, I want to thank Janelle, which is our latest two dollar a month patron. So, Janelle, thank you for for joining up with us. And you're about to experience your first of many, I hope, uh, spoiler talks over on our Patreon. And we're back from what I honestly thought it was a much longer spoiler talk than I expected. But we did cover um, we covered some good ground, I think, as always in spoiler talk. It's 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 an improvement personally for me on this podcast i know we started doing it a a couple of years ago maybe even three years ago now but it really kind of sometimes helps me look at the story in a different way or to kind of solidify some of my thoughts so uh, hopefully it does the same for you if you are a patreon contributor at the two dollar level or more yeah it's it's definitely helped um it it up our game and you know what the weird thing is livius um and you're not going to believe this because you mentioned the timeline i'm going to open up and I'm going to look for the the first time we did spoiler talk. I'm going to blow your mind about how long ago that was. You ready for your mind to be blown? I am ready. The first spoiler talk was December 2nd, 2015. <laughs> oh, wow. We're coming up on five years of spoiler talk. Holy shit. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something that, quite honestly, like I said, on a personal level, because become my my one of my favorite parts of, of this podcast, and I know we do it for for a small number of people, and it's not why I'm saying it. It's just I, you know, you just don't realize how much you don't get out of it until you can openly discuss it. Yep. Yep. Um, and now we're gonna summarize those thoughts with wrap ups. Do you want to go, or should I take it? I will go first. Mm. Um. I wasn't sure what to expect from this. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, uh, obviously a lot of hype. Um, so a lot of it on social media. Talked to other authors who were really excited about it, having either read it or were very much looking forward to it. But I, I do like gothic horror. I think this is the the Romanian in me, right? That gothic horror, if it comes up, I'm always like, yep, yep, I can do gothic horror. Let's do that. So it's a, it's a category I, I look forward um, to, to enjoying. Um, my ratings were a little all over the place, and it's a little weird. I talked about this a lot in Spoiler Talk. This is the book, um, for me, at least this year, that I thought had the highest potential that let me down um, in a few categories. So um, I, I was like, I overall liked the characters, but felt that some of them were a little underdeveloped for my taste. I love the concept, but I thought it was rolled out in a kind of murky, muddy um, way for my taste. I mentioned earlier dream sequences, and 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 I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think this spoils anything. Um, the dream sequences are how some of this is revealed to us, and I didn't like that vehicle um, for it. I mentioned over in Spoiler Talk, I almost rather would have had the, you know, and, and, and tropey. I found a journal buried in the wall that explains to, to me all this thing, all these weird things that, you know, we, we got through the course of the book. Um, but overall concept, really, really great. And I just thought the delivery was, uh, was a little lackluster. I love the conclusion. And I, and, you know, as so I gave the conclusion, a, a high score, I gave the plot a very high score, um, where I dinged it. And I don't even know if this is the right place was pace. Cause I feel like this book should have been 70 to hundred pages longer. And it could have rounded out some of the things that I, uh, didn't care for as much as I should. 
Um, but overall, even with some some pretty hard dings in those areas, it still came out to a 7.38 for me, which uh, overall I, I enjoyed it. I just thought this had the potential to be a 9. So the, the interesting thing I find about that, and this is something that um, I've noticed sometimes with your wrap-ups or your just thoughts on books in general, Livius, is that books can definitely uh, get a lower score <laughs> because you wanted more of the stuff that you liked that you didn't get. So like... Um, it's almost, it's not a good thing, but it's a good ding. If you're basically saying, Hey, I wanted more of it because you were enjoying mm-hmm. what you got. You just needed extra, um, stuff. So that's, For sure. yep. that's interesting. And, and, and I guess like two that goes to, um, uh, even, even a good book might not be a perfect book, but it's still a good book. Um, I think 7.38 is a, is a respectable rating um and I, I came in pretty close to that so uh, i'll just start out by saying that I, I gave it eight out of ten um me and livius were pretty consistent in a lot of the categories uh that we break down our reviews into um i thought the conclusion was very good um uh the plot i gave me and yeah so we basically liked the exact same things um i just scored some things a little bit higher than he did um overall so this is one of those books where I feel it's it's got a lot of character and personality, and um, this benefits from just being very well written. It's obvious that she's a very proficient writer who knows how to put a good story together, and and you know she's got all the right ingredients to make the good recipe. Um, and and it was just a great it was a great ride. Um, it it concluded in a very satisfying way. Um, the the story was one of those where I was absolutely throughout the story predicting to myself where it was going to go and what certain things meant. And I love those types of stories the most where it keeps you guessing, but it also keeps you caring enough that you're invested in it. So overall, man, lots to like about this book. And um, I definitely see myself reading more um, from Sylvia Moreno Garcia again and a little regretful that she's had so many books out already uh, and I had not heard about her before. So like I said, eight out of 10. Um, I really enjoyed this book. Before we get off the subject. Yeah, it's weird because I haven't heard of any of our other books either. Yeah. And and so this one, I'm not sure what transpired to get this one on, on everybody's lips. I, I have to assume that, that, you know, at least some of these books were written over the last, you know, nine years that we've been doing this weekly, you know, and, and right. the name just didn't sound at all i honestly until you read the bio i thought or i actually read it at the end of the book you know what i mean but i I thought this was a debut novel so i'm glad i'm glad she got somewhere new york times bestseller list with this one i i mean it's it's uh it's it's worthy in that weird way that i said like i i believe it's on the new york times bestseller list i believe there's a good reason for it yeah i'm looking through now like um it's just maybe it's just the type of stuff because like it looks like there's kind of a Lovecraftian bent to some of the stuff yeah. that she writes, and we've haven't gone that far into um, Lovecraftian stuff, so maybe that yeah. has something to do with it. But she goes back to like she's got short stories in like back in 2011 and stuff. So yeah, yeah, she did win a World Fantasy Award, and I don't know how many books we've read that were even eligible for a world fantasy yeah. award. It's definitely not something you or I really take to. Right. Right. And that's, and that's the weird thing because like, um, 
you know, you could argue that there's a strong fantasy element to the Neil Gaiman stuff that we've read, but it's not something that we go seeking out for sure. So um, I think it's just one of those, like um, this was the happy convergence of what we read and, and who who's recommending books for sure. I mean, I feel this is a good place to pivot. It came up, um, uh, at the right before, right before we started recording and you had said she's written some Lovecraftian mm-hmm. stuff so I feel like you want to tell us a little bit about a new TV show you've been watching yeah so the second episode airs um, uh, tonight probably already as we're recording this Lovecraft Country uh, is a new HBO series that just started a week bef- uh, the week before we're recording this so like I said second episode is tonight and it's basically I'm sure a lot of the people that are listening to this already know about it, but um, it is a Jim Crow era. Um, that's when it takes place story about um, a couple of black families who basically discover that they're tied up in this um, kind of ancient uh, thing. And they have like some sort of birthright to um, it's, it's, it's the first episode really was a lot of setup so like the the stinger at the end was like oh what's this weird shit that's going on but like um uh yeah so it's 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 tied in with lovecraft lovecraftian creatures and stuff i i didn't read the book so it's based on a book called lovecraft country and um there are elements so they they, they have to travel to massachusetts from i think the chicago i think it's chicago yeah chicago and when they get to the place they're going, there are like monsters and stuff in the forest. So there's like a there's a there's a monster element to it. So there's definitely supernatural shit going on. Um, but it's set against like the Jim Crow era, so it's very heavily analyzing um, like racial tension and stuff, uh, which I thought is great because, and I think that this is going to be a theme that we see a lot is um, Lovecraft was a huge racist, and so taking that thing that um that he did that people you know is obviously revolutionary for horror and everything and making it so that it's okay to use because it's it's through a different lens so it's not oh we're reading this guy this racist guy's stuff it's we're taking this and we're making it something different so i like that that kind of aspect of it was found it was a strange dichotomy with lovecraft and um you know, kind of horror fantasy fans. So um, I, I know Jordan Peele's involvement uh, is uh, is an executive producer is is the the most likely reason. Uh, I'll wait until it's all over to see what the <laughs> reviews are. Because in case you didn't know, it, that guy ruined the Twilight Zone. In case you hadn't heard from anybody else or, or heard it before, I hear it once no a week. How mad I, there's even a goddamn second season of it. I don't, I don't think I went on a rant about that. Um, I. Uh, I, I did not see a lot about it, and uh, it's it's on HBO, right? Yeah. So I might have to wait until that hits the 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 Netflix. I don't have a HBO now. Go whatever they have like four different apps, I think. Um. So I don't. Uh, I don't know. Can I talk about the one thing I'm excited about? Before you jump away from that, I'm just going to say real quick, and then you can talk about the thing you're excited about. Um. This is one of the things I love about new HBO shows is that there's also a companion podcast. So every episode of the TV show. 
um, has a corresponding podcast episode. So you kind of get like behind the scenes and you get to, to hear the kind of the motivations of what made them um, decide to do things the way they did. And I fucking love that. I think every TV show should have that. So I um, just want to say that. But yeah, what, what's uh, what's got you so excited? Well, I, I, well, I want to. All right. So I want to address that because I don't know how I feel about that. I know you've mentioned it because it was Chernobyl. And then I feel like there was something else that you were talking about. There uh, being a, a companion. I'll be, I'll be gone in the dark. Yeah. Um, I, I go back to this. I spent like the Doctor Who reboot from, I don't know, 15 years ago or whatever. I just remember seeing an interview with one of the uh, with one of the actors and just being like, nope, I think I just want them to be actors like 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 sure. the Chernobyl one I could get because that was historical fiction. You know what I mean? So if I'm like, all right, so I get to hear about like the actual people. Like the thing, interesting thing about Chernobyl was like there were like thirty scientists, <clears throat> and they were all condensed into that one woman. Right. That was like, you know what I mean? So like I I could see from a historical standpoint, <clears throat> but in a fiction story, I almost feel like I just want to be immersed in the story, and I don't want to hear about. So I don't know. Maybe at some point, if I get into a show, I'll give that a shot because I know you speak very highly of it, um, and you and I typically like to ingest the same, you know, kind of types of. Um, storytelling so maybe maybe uh, maybe i would benefit from that with with the right show possibly now that we've had that deep conversation about (laughs) that fucking i am uh, scrolling through my news feed on my phone and and by news feed it it just pulls different things that i've searched for and stuff right so once in a while like i have to tell like four different times no no i'm not interested in this thing because it was like a one-time thing i looked up but it keeps giving me that information but it was on a friday night I get uh, in my news feed that there is – are you familiar with Coheed and Cambria? I know, is it a musical? I think it's a musical yes. group. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've always thought they were very talented, but they were, they're kind of weird songwriters. But there's a few songs I really, really like from them. But I see something that says Coheed and Cambria, Jesse's Girl, the number two after it, featuring Rick Springfield. Oh, no. So I go, holy shit, Coheed and Cambria of a Flavor House Atlantic and and The Suffering, which I think are just brilliant songs. They wrote a goddamn sequel to a song by a different artist. So very excited about this. The song is is interesting. The video is really cute. Rick Springfield actually does a cameo, kind of sings the like, I don't know, like the bridge part of the song. Right. But it all ties back to this, I don't know, 40 year old song. And it's a sequel to a song, <laughs> which, you know, I, and I, I know very briefly we talked about this with Josh Mailer, but I think you completely tuned out. We were talking about um, songs as storytelling. Right. And I just thought it was fascinating that they continued a story from 40 years ago by a different artist in song form. So these little three minute stories can be extended years and years later. And I, I find the concept really interesting. I'm, I'm not much of a music guy. If I'm being honest, you're probably far more into music than I am. But I did find this absolutely endearing. So I am not trying to ruin this moment for you. But what since it's a story, basically, the Jesse's girl, you're saying it's kind of got a story aspect to it. What's the story? I All don't... right. So, yep. So, uh, so the song Jesse's girl is just about him. Him. He, he's he's in love with his friend's girlfriend. Is what it is, right? So it's just him kind of questioning why he isn't good enough, why she's not interested in him, why she's with this guy, and him kind of fantasizing about their life together. Mm-hmm. Jesse's girl too 
flashes forward many, many years. And it's him looking back like he got the shot, like his dream came true. He wound up hooking up with this girl, but it went horribly wrong because she's fucking nuts. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So again, you know, are they, you know, they're, they're stories you tell in three minutes with like three verses and, and a repetitive course. Right. So there's not a lot to get out of a story typically. Um, but there's some there's some great songs out there that can tell a, a hell of a story in a, in a really short period of time. I think that's... I'm not saying that Jesse's girl is the one for that. I don't think that's a perfect example. <laughs> but... Well, I just had an idea and I'm going to pitch it to you and you can sure. tell me it's a terrible idea. Okay. But now I'm thinking that the there's a song that exists that could be like um jesse's perspective after after the the part two happens and that's mr brightside oh there you go the killers by the way the new killers album (laughs) awful everything awful terrible oh my god i don't know what happened to one of the greatest bands of all time oh no mr brightside (sighs) though do you see what i'm saying like how yes oh no i yeah absolutely Absolutely. But that's, yeah, I, it's, we don't typically think of them that way, but every now and then, man, I hear a song and I go, holy shit, man, this person took me on an emotional roller coaster ride over the course of like three and a half minutes. And do we read 300 fucking page books that, that don't manage to do the same thing? So when done right, they can be impactful. Oh man. So I just thought of something and, and I'm going to tell you, like, have you heard the phrase, let people enjoy things? Um, I, no, I mean, I think I understand what it means because it seems pretty simple. It's yes, it, it means exactly what it sounds okay. like, but it's used when like, so like, you'll understand. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now and you'll understand why I said that first. So the new trailer for the new Batman movie with Robert Pattinson came out mm-hmm. and so many people are so excited about it. Um, I thought it was pretty garbage. And so, like, I had that instinct inside of me to just go online and shit on it. And that's when let people enjoy things, you know, kind of kicked into my head. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, because, like, what benefit would that be for the world if I voiced a negative opinion about something? Um, so I'm not going to trash. I'm going to let them enjoy their thing. I'm very happy mm-hmm. for everybody who's excited about this movie. But there's one fucking sin I can't forgive. Have you seen the trailer? No, I have. It's on my list to see, but DC movies haven't really provided a lot of excitement for me other than the Joker. So, yeah. So um, they use a Nirvana song in the trailer because, you know, like every trailer now has to take an old song and make it (laughs) quirky. And that's because it's iconic. But, oh, it's our quirky version. So it's different. And so they use the Nirvana song, something in the way. um, And it. Thematically, I don't see why they use that, um, and, and it's just like uh, it's just very insulting to me that they chose to use that that song. And so I'm gonna let everybody enjoy their thing, but I have to say, really not happy that they used that Nirvana song. It's interesting that you say that because I've noticed that there have been a lot of remade songs, like in TV shows, yeah. and I was actually wondering if it's like cheaper to license a remake. And that's why, because it seems like really, really prevalent now that you would hear a song and you go, oh, this song sounds really familiar, but it's always done in a, like you said, a quirky or, 
Maybe it's a song that was like a pretty strong song, but it's been really pulled back. And now it's right. just like one light piano behind some singing instead of like a guitar and drums. Right. Like a haunting voice or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I wonder if that's a, well, that's a licensing issue. That's a good point because like, and I don't, I don't know anything about the music industry, but I'm fairly certain that you can do like, you don't have to license a song to do a, like a, your a cover of it. I don't think. Mm. So like it, Maybe and you know music execs that are listening can can, can correct me on this. <laughs> Josh Mallerman can can <laughs> chime in at any time now. Yeah, but yeah, like if you get a band who's does their version of Yellow Submarine, and you want to license that, you're probably licensing it from that band and have nothing to do with the Beatles. So you're getting it for a a steal, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the only reason I could think of that it's so because like that's work, right? Like nobody's. <laughs> I don't think anybody's like, hey, we really want to use this song, but can we find an artist to record it in a really low key way instead of, you know, the way that people know it? It seems like a lot of work to close out a, a weekly ABC show or something. You know, it yeah. just, yeah. It's interesting. I never thought about that, but there's something to that thought. I don't know. At some point during a during a future interlude, I plan on bringing some great um, some great story songs uh to to discuss i think i think that might be fun for an interlude that would be amazing for an interlude i'm gonna have to make a note of that i this is a random this is a random rob's life thing but um because i just said i'm gonna make a note of that i've been um starting to take notes of random like i I start I, i found that i have a lot of thoughts right before i fall asleep as opposed to like right you know when i wake you know dreams i want to take notes on Mm -hmm. um and so, like, I've started taking notes on those. So uh, they're awful, but um, I find them, like, <laughs> I find them, they're going to be a thing that, like, you know, years from now I go back and I read this stupid note and I'm like, what the fuck was wrong with me? Yeah. So I, I can give you an example. <laughs> sure. Well, this is a little bit um, NSFW, but um, this is a thought, legit thought I had. I was raised by a single mother. Um, which has never been a problem for me, but now I don't know what to do with girls who have a daddy kink. <laughs> that's, um, that's, <laughs> that's actually fairly insightful, I, I think. <laughs> I mean, what I would say is I would just stay away from those girls in general if I was giving you advice. But uh, but yeah, I don't. I mean, or I'd give you a list of things you could probably do. Yeah, that's if you the thing. Go I, different. Need, yeah, it's like, it's I need just, a father figure to help me figure yeah. out what to <laughs> No, but like, what if you're dating someone and you only discover the daddy kink later? That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, the problem with because I, I would occasionally do that too, um, and, and not necessarily at night, but just random thoughts I'd have. But then yeah. sometimes, like, I use the Google Keep app for for stuff. Like sometimes for like like really weird passwords that I have to use like once a year at work, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But there's also just like random notes in there. Like someone will be like, oh, you got to check out this TV show. But I'll look and I'll be like, oh, OK, what is this? And I'll go, oh, this is a TV show. Rob must tell me to watch it. But then there are <laughs> notes I had on thoughts where I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck this means. Yeah, that's the problem. So it's like two or three words. I'm like, I don't know what this is referencing. I have no idea what this is. So I could only imagine if I was doing that as I was falling asleep at night, I'd have a lot more. I have no idea what this references. Yeah. Then, yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen notes from myself yeah. like that where I'm like, sure. "What the fuck sure. was I even saying?" Yeah. Yep, yep. So, but uh, <laughs> it does make it, it in some cases can make for for good solid entertainment. Yep, like your weird daddy kink thought. <laughs> it's probably swiping through Tinder. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right. I think that's a good place to put this one down. Um, unsure if there's going to be an episode next week or not. So for anybody who is not aware, Rob is upgrading his abode. Um, I'll translate that for the rest of you. Rob's moving to a, to a bigger place. So uh, we're not sure what the Internet situation will be or, you know, whatever. So there may or may not be an interlude type episode next week. Um, but if there is not an episode next week, two weeks from right now, you will be getting the first in a series of four book reviews, probably with some author interviews um, spread throughout. And Rob probably knows what that next book is. Yeah. So September's uh, interesting. And this 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 next book that you're going to get uh, is, is Olivia's thing. Um, Suzanne Clark has a book coming out called Pira Nessie. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, but that's the next one that we're going to read. And this is uh, very driven on the fact that Livius um, has read and enjoyed previous stuff from that author. Uh, I'm pretty in the dark about it. That's okay. I'm going to slight correction there. I did watch a long TV adaptation of um, one of her books. And that's uh, that's where that came from. I did not read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell because I think it's like a thousand pages. Um, but oh, I did yeah. watch a, I believe it was a BBC adaptation that I really, really enjoyed. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward. Uh, if it's anything like that, um, I think it'll be an enjoyable book for us to to, to read and to um, discuss. But yeah, I mean, we've also got uh, another Craig Walwork book, the second one of this year. Yeah, he's really Come, churning them out. Yeah, yeah. so uh, the second in the Tom Nolan book, those are coming up. We've got The Loop by Jeremy Robert Johnson later on in September. And I, like I said, I imagine we'll catch a couple interviews in that month, too. So if we take next week off, please remember it's A, because Rob's moving, and B, because we have to get ready for another just crazy month of book reviews that'll um, look a lot like July for those of you that were paying attention back then. Yep. But for now, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, for a very entertaining book. Join us next time, whenever that happens to be, um, for some more stuff. Until then, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading.